Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine Radio Show. The show where it's absolutely normal and there's nothing wrong with taking out your Peterson and polishing it. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine, coming to you from the recording studio built at my home office just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. And remember, you must be of legal smoking age wherever you are to listen to this fine show. So if you're not, turn it off now. Okay, there we go. Uh, in tonight's show and pipe parts, we're going to talk about, and this is based off of a question that I got, A, uh, we're going to talk about how do I get a job in the pipe and tobacco world. Yeah, I'll try to answer that one for you. My guests tonight are uh, Len and Greg, two guys from Merchant Service Pipes, and they've got an interesting project they're doing, and they're uh, two great guys, so you get to listen to that. Uh, no music this week because it is, uh, it's a long interview, a lot of good stuff in it. Uh, mailbag with some news in the mailbag and a rant pointed at me, partly because of, I've spent my entire weekend dealing with computer problems and a roof leak. Yeah, you think my life is glamorous with all the travel and bouncing around and doing this and that? Well, this weekend, No. Uh, between taking care of the yard and the roof leak and dealing with a computer issue, well, all that travel's catching up on me. So, you know, I may post fancy pictures on Facebook and Instagram. Well, <laughs> this weekend, not so fancy. No, in fact, I got a little muddy and dirty. All right, let's get the show rolling. So everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in, and here we go. This is Kevin Godby from PipesMagazine.com with some good news. Our favorite Dunhill tobaccos, Early Morning Pipe and Nightcap are two of my favorites, are now back under the Peterson brand name. These are not match blends where another maker tried to reverse engineer their blend to make something that's close to the original. These are the exact recipes and tobaccos being made in the same factory, STG in Denmark, where they've been making the Dunhill tobaccos for almost 10 years. They had about a year and a half, two-year hiatus, and now they're back, still being made the same way, but now under the Peterson name. Check with your favorite retail tobacconist for Early Morning Pipe, Nightcap, Royal Yacht, Mixture 965, Elizabethan Mixture, Deluxe Navy Rolls, Flake, Dark Flake, and Standard Mixture, now under the Peterson name. Yep, still good. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. All right, so you want to get a job in the pipe and tobacco world. Well, <laughs> I think I've touched on this before. I'm not sure if I have fully, so here it goes. I lo- there, there's three different, three different ways to get involved in the pipe and tobacco world, all right? One is as a small business where you start your own small business, maybe even as a pipe maker or pipe restoration or reselling of pipes. Maybe you open up an Etsy store or uh, an eBay store or you set up your own website where you buy wholesale 
or you buy estate pipes, clean them up and sell them. Yeah, there's those ways. And you can go out to pipe shows and promote it and stuff like that. The other way is retail. That's a brick and mortar working in primarily what would be a cigar shop. And I want to remind you that in the world of uh, specialty tobaccos, cigars are on average about 90% of the revenue. So even at a big pipe focused store like a Ewan Reese or an LJ Peretti or a McCraney's or a Country Squire, you're talking about a store that is probably 60-70% cigar-related and 30-40% pipe and tobacco-related. So you need to know cigars if you're going to work in retail. Uh, and then the other segment of it is it's the import, distribution, manufacturing, wholesale side. So it's the behind-the-scenes stuff. And I'll be honest with you. So most of those people, most of those companies on the import wholesale manufacturing, whatever, most of them get their new employees from uh, from retail. That's where it's traditionally been from. Now, the companies that you're ta that I'm talking about on that back end import wholesale side are uh, Phillips and King in California and Arango Cigar in Chicago. Uh, both have pipe and tobacco related items that they import and distribute, but both of them make most of their money from dealing with cigars and they sell directly to brick and mortar. All right. Uh, on the manufacturing side, you have STG Lane Limited, which includes uh, pipesandcigars.com and Cigars International and all those guys. Uh, you have Sutliff McBaron in uh, Richmond. And then you have the Laudisi Group, which includes Cornell and Deal, Peterson, and the U.S. importation for Savinelli. And then you have, uh, have SmokingPipes.com. All those companies are going to pretty much want you to be right there in their office working for them. So if you want one of their jobs, you're going to have to move to that city. And you're probably going to have to move on your own dime to that city. So just be prepared. But you can also reach out to those companies because they're always looking for people that are passionate about what they sell, uh, especially at the Laudisi Group and at Sutliff. Uh, you can you know you can reach out to them and they will and they'll talk to you. They may have openings, they may not. But again, you're going to have to move for those jobs. Uh, the days of a road sales rep covering a territory are getting more and more limited. And the only ones that really have a viable road sales force anymore are the premium cigar companies. And they're only interested in the cigar business. Uh, so, I mean, that's an option for you, but you're going to be focused 99% on cigars uh, I can't even think of, you know, maybe Laudisi has a couple of regional sales reps that are out around, live out on the road. Uh, Arango may have one or two, but that's it. Uh, those days are long gone. So again, yeah, if you want to start your own little business and do it as either a weekend or evening hobby business that may grow into a full-time business for you, that's perfect. If you want to get into the wholesale side, my, you know, your best bet is to either start off at brick and mortar and work there for a while and learn the business and then transfer into another company. 
Um, or you're going to you know, get lucky and get one of those few jobs where you've got to pack yourself up and move across the country or move to wherever they are. That's just the way it is. That's the way the world is. Uh, if you have any comments or questions or want to email me directly about it, feel free. Brian at PipesMagazine.com. Uh, if I don't answer you in a couple of days, email me again because, you know, firewalls and all that security stuff, especially with the travel stuff. So uh, just reach out to me or you can send me a message on Facebook or, uh, or Instagram. Uh, I'm happy to help. All right. All right. In just a moment, uh, we'll have uh, two guys that are starting up a business of their own. It's Merchant Service, Pipes, and uh, Len and Greg. This is Internet Radio. Have a look in your tobacco cellar. What do you see? Think of what you smoke, what you age, what you're drawn to in a blend that keeps you wanting more. That's your taste. And whether you know it or not, You've been leading that expedition since you first picked up a pipe just by smoking what you like and liking what you smoke. But the funny thing about taste, it changes and you need a wide selection to accommodate it. We at Smoking Pipes know this and you know it too. So whether you're searching for a tried and true favorite or a singular boutique mixture, we're here to help you navigate the voyage of your evolving tastes. But you're still at the helm, smoking pipes in faithful service of the hobby. We're back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and I've got two guests joining me and two guests that are combining to work on, get this, one shape of pipe. So this is fascinating interesting to me and really cool so uh we're going to uh from the merchant services uh, merchant service pipes please welcome lynn fogel and greg pola welcome to the show guys thank you for having us brian it's a Thanks pleasure to be with you yeah great. all right so let, let's get to know you first of all lynn um when did you start smoking a pipe and and you're not the uh, you're not the younger of the two of you are you uh i should hardly say that's the case um <laughs> i i started smoking a pipe uh i guess in the uh latter portion of the 1960s and when i was about uh, 17 years of age and um i've been smoking a pipe uh since then so it's been quite some time now you go I mean you go all the way back to New York City and some of the great pipe shops and you know going back to when it was kind of like a rite of passage when you went into college you you went down to the tobacconist and bought a pipe and your first tobacco and started to you know and started studying with a pipe stuck in your face right That's uh, absolutely correct you know um in those days a lot of a lot of guys were smoking pipes including relatives I had an uncle who was a serious pipe smoker and I and I caught the bug and I did just that I started wandering around the pipe shops throughout the city and interestingly enough, that started uh, sort of a mini career for me, because when I was a student, um, <clears throat> I was able to secure uh, jobs on the retail side, uh, working for some pretty venerable shops in uh, in New York City, including uh, the Connoisseur Pipe Shop uh, uh, and uh, Lane Limited and uh, Pipe and Pouch and the Village Smoke Shop in Greenwich Village. So I actually kind of parlayed my interest. Um, to learn about pipes and to uh, a job, 
which I which I had for a number of years on and off as I was when I was a student. Well, and also being a student, it helps to work in a shop where you can then get a discount on the product because you know students, most of you aren't, you know, most of you aren't, uh, you, know, you don't have money falling out of your pockets. That's extra. You're you're right about that, and uh, and I certainly did take advantage of that to some extent. But since I was basically trying to support myself through college at that time, most of the money that I that I gained from employment was used to support my education. But I did manage to find a few bucks. To spend on a discounted pipe here and there, and I and I did manage to amass a few uh, during those years. Now, what was your what was your real career in besides uh, pipe shop retail? Yeah, so um, after I uh, graduated from college, I um, wound up uh, going to graduate school and became a um, hospital administrator, which I did for about forty years. So I basically sort of uh, left the pipe and tobacco retail side and went into an entirely different career and sort of uh, my interest in pipes sort of diminished as a result sort of by necessity and uh, but I still managed to dabble in it and keep my finger in it but it was uh, an, an entirely different experience I can assure you <laughs> so so you would have been with the hospitals when they went from having smoking lounges to absolutely no smoking in the parking lots and you got to go across the street and stand behind a tree and hide from everybody. Oh, yes. Yes, indeed. Um, you know, it's interesting. When I first started in hospital administration um, in the, uh, I guess, the late 70s, um, smoking was pretty common in pipes. I mean, uh, in, uh, in uh, hospitals, you were able to... Uh, uh, smoke just about everywhere, including offices, and and I did. And it's interesting how many physicians at that time were actual pipe smokers. Uh, I worked for some pretty prestigious hospitals in the uh, New York City metropolitan area, and uh, a, a lot of the prominent physicians were pipe smokers, but you began to see over time a diminution in, uh, in, in that... Um, in that freedom smoking again. <laughs> yeah, and uh and things changed and it was be it was becoming uh more um politically incorrect to smoke and then eventually of course because of regulation and uh other issues uh smoking was essentially banned from from all hospitals and uh People were shunned to certain parts of the campus in order to do it, and eventually campuses became smoke-free, and that was it. That was the end. It really started to, to, to end pretty much in the mid-'80s, yeah. and for years thereafter, it's just gotten worse and worse. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I remember, I remember I'm, I'm just barely old enough to have remembered ashtrays in the hospital waiting rooms and even the uh, one... One of my favorite episodes of I Love Lucy is when she's giving birth and Ricky's in the waiting room and he's just chain smoking the entire time. So, uh, yeah, yeah, but it was uh, it was very common. And uh, but look, it, it stopped. Yeah. And that, that was unfortunate, perhaps. But for many, it was considered to be the right thing to do. And so one goes along with uh, the way history changes, you know. Yeah. Now, Greg, you're you're not quite as uh, you're not quite as old as I am, but you're not you're not a kid anymore. So, when did you start smoking a pipe, or how how, how did Len get his hooks into you? 
Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm just a little bit less. I'm just a little bit outside of being a kid. But uh, I actually started smoking a pipe. Uh, I, you know, it's, it's, it's single digits in years. I think it's five years ago now um, with any regularity. You know, prior to that, um, you know, it, I got into cigars when everybody got into cigars in the 90s, you know, during the big cigar boom. And, uh, you know, I enjoyed that for a period of time. And then I, uh, I just stopped. I didn't, I didn't think I was getting what I was supposed to be getting out of it. And uh, literally just about five years ago, I, I just had a whim one day and I decided to smoke a pipe. I, I literally woke up one day and thought I should, I should investigate this a little bit. And I'm sure part of that is nostalgia for things like remembering my grandfather smoking a pipe and, and stuff of that nature. But I, um, you know, I just, I went online and I purchased a pipe and that's how I started smoking a pipe. I, you know, picked up some over the counters and there I went. Did you have anybody that helped explain how to pack or load the pipe, or did you use the old uh, the old fashioned YouTube method? I started out with the um, do everything wrong and give yourself plenty of tongue bite method. Oh which yeah, is the, <laughs> the way I started. Yeah. Um, you know, I uh, you know, like most people, we I, I started out you know trying every aromatic I could, and uh, and burning myself to pieces, and thankfully. I persevered, and I eventually found YouTube, and then I found some online communities. I, I, I actually, in my search for pipes and tobacco, um, while I was beginning, I, I didn't do that much internet research as far as discussion goes, as far as the, um, the social side, like forums and Facebook and that kind of stuff. Um, I just didn't. I don't know why I didn't. Um, I had been on other forums for other hobbies, but I, I didn't even think that there would be a smokers forum or anything like that anywhere. But once I discovered that, it quickly, quickly, I quickly progressed in the hobby. Do you think part of the appeal to you of the pipe hobby was that maybe it was kind of a, a low-tech, unconnected thing at the beginning? Uh, a low-tech, I mean, possibly. You know, I, I think that appeals to everybody. It, it does have a more primitive feel than something that's manufactured like a cigarette or a cigar. You know, you're dealing with what... I mean, I know it's not a raw product necessarily, but it feels raw. You know, you're actually touching the leaf with your hands, you know. You know, you're, you're smoking it out of a piece of wood with holes in it, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah. But, but, Brian, to your point, um, for someone like myself, when there, was, when there were no computers and no Internet, pipe smoking and tobaccos were a great mystery, shrouded in myth and legend and... Yeah. Um, it was all word of mouth and you needed to connect with this guy or that guy to learn one thing or another about uh, how to how to smoke your pipe and that's why you had to spend a lot of time in pipe shops because there were there were no resources now everything is totally deconstructed everyone who's interested in the hobby there are no there are very few secrets any longer and uh, a lot of the myths that existed when I was a young pipe smoker have been exploded over time. And uh, just because the uh, proliferation of information now is just so, so evident and it's there all the time for anyone who's interested, didn't exist in, in the old days. And uh, in, in one way, it was certainly more romantic. You know, it was a kind of a kind of uh, an interesting hobby because of its mystery and the legends around it. But uh, today, uh, that's just not the case. It's an interesting thing because, you know, uh, everything that Len describes, I, I can imagine that being the case. I, I didn't 
have a chance to experience that myth or anything, you know, and, and I don't know if that's necessarily a product of my age and, and, you know, where I was placed in the timeline of events, or I, I think it was just my exposure was, you know, my grandfather and my grandfather was, he was a real pipe smoker. You know, he, <laughs> he smoked many bowls a day and it was always the same tobacco. And he, he just used his pipes to the point of unusability. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, the kind of guy that had, you know, an inch of cake in a, in a, in a bowl and you could barely get your pinky in and, you know, he, he would wrap them on ashtrays and just a real old school nicotine delivery device smoker, you know? And, uh, I didn't know that there were such things as other types of tobacco or other types of pipes. I, I, I just never knew. Even when I went to smoke shops for cigars, you know, the pipe display was always, you know, the smallest feature of the store, you know, cigars dominated the stores in the nineties. And, Absolutely. um, so yeah, I, I didn't even know that stuff existed, you know? So the only the only way you would find out about some of the more interesting pipe tobacco, for example, was, unless you went to a shop, was um, possibly in a magazine. So, for example, for for months I had probably been smoking a bunch of drugstore related aromatic pipe tobaccos, uh, which were certainly smoked by a, a lot of guys that I knew. My uncle smoked uh, Middleton 5, which is a uh, tobacco that you can't find any longer, but it was made by the Middleton Company, <clears throat> and uh, would smoke other aromatics, and that's what I knew. However, uh, I picked up a, uh, a copy of the New York Times magazine one, one Sunday, and there was an ad in the back for something called Balkan Sobrani. And uh, I, I loved the ad, and I then reached out to try to find that tobacco, and I did. And when I opened up the tin, it was unlike anything I could ever possibly imagine uh, in the way of a pipe tobacco. It was completely different than anything I ever tried. And, of course, once I had a bowl or two of that, I began to see something um, in pipe tobacco that uh, I, I just didn't realize could exist, and that was the start of again trying to find other other kinds of tobacco and other mm -hmm. blends that were not readily available locally it's it's interesting that len tells that story about uh encountering balkan sobrani which is you know it's in english and it has latakia um and then being his, his hobby being transformed from that because that was a pivotal moment for me you know when i was trying all these aromatics and i and every blend tasted lousy and every, at least at the time everything was terrible <laughs> i was having terrible smokes um, and then one day, because I had gone to the tobacconist and I had, I had purchased an ounce of everything he had, and of course a lot of it's aromatics, when I finally happened upon trying the baggy marked Balkan Supreme, it's an Arango product, um, that was my first taste of an English, and all of a sudden I had a cool smoking experience that had something in the way of flavor that I could get my teeth onto, you know, and uh, I latched onto it, and that started my love affair with Englishes. But that too, it's, it's interesting, an English was the first thing that really tasted like something that I enjoyed, you know? Yeah, it was an extraordinary experience because I didn't realize that tobacco could taste that way. And, of course, when, when you got into working with a tobacconist, uh, they, they all had a variety of different English blends. Uh, many of them had the same ones that were just relabeled, re of course, but um, you began to see that there was another world out there, and uh, that's, that's how you learned. I call it that deja vu or magic moment when you finally hit something and you know how to pack it and light it. 
but we're going to take a break right here. When we come back, we're going to talk more with Lynn and Greg about what they're doing in uh, merchant service pipes. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. Being at the forefront of craft tobacco production for over 20 years, we've been involved in some rather interesting projects at Cornell and Deal. From the Cellar Series to the Small Batch Project, we're extremely proud of how far we've come. So moving forward, we wanted to take it back to basics, and that's what the Burley Flake Series is all about. Burley is an underrated varietal, but there is a ton of nuance there. Using various condimental tobaccos to accentuate different aspects of the air-cured leaf, each blend in this series is intended to showcase different individual subtleties inherent to Burley. It's a simple concept, one that I think really speaks to the essence of what we do at C&D, as a crew of folks who just love tobacco. It's also really good. Cornell & Deal's Burley Flakes series, wherever fine tobaccos are sold. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, visiting with Lynn Fogel and Greg Pola. Uh, Greg, how did you how did you get hooked up with Lynn? So we actually, um, you know, we, we actually belong to the same pipe club, um, and I had actually I had known of him, but uh, for whatever reason, our schedules had never lined up to to catch each other at meetings or whatever. And uh, you know, I actually got introduced by a fellow member of our pipe club one day at the New York Pipe Show. If I'm not mistaken, that's right. And, uh, that's right. You know, and we just our friendship was fast after that. You know, we we found out that we we enjoyed a lot of the same flavors in tobacco, and we we both understood what makes a good pipe good. <laughs> you know, and then we just uh, we agreed on a lot of things, and I think that's where our friendship started. All right, so take us. Uh, I'll I'll throw this up to either one of you that wants to do it, but uh, take us back to the beginning of the idea for merchant service uh, merchants merchant service pipes i gotta get the s's in the right place there uh right the beginning of it and the idea of making one shape of pipe in the shape you picked so a few years ago i was browsing ebay and i came across um an auction for a billiard with a long thin shank a beveled bowl at the top and a long, thin stem that was wide at the button. It really grabbed me, and it, it really reminded me of, for some reason, of traditional English or French workmanship. And uh, I loved the shape. And um, the pipe that I was looking at what turned out to be a merchant service. Now, I knew nothing of the brand at that time. The pipe simply looked to me that it, like it was a factory-made pipe, kind of simple, but beautiful. Uh, I couldn't understand why it was being bid up so high. It was, several, it was already being bid to several hundred dollars. So I did some research and found the connection with Bing Crosby and the fact that the pipes are, I guess, now rare, and then I understood why the pipe was selling for as much as it did. But um, I loved the shape, but I could never find a more modestly priced version of the merchant service shape that I liked. Um, so my only option, I felt, was to go handmade. And I tried that, 
but I did think it would be great to see a serious factory-made version, which would be less expensive. I thought it would appeal to uh, many other pipe smokers like myself who like the shape, but we're looking for a lower price point than a handmade version. And then I retired about Uh-oh. two years ago. <laughs> Here comes the free time. <laughs> and then I began, to, and then and then that that going into retirement kind of put me in the mode to think about doing a pipe project for fun. I, I thought, wouldn't it be great to be able to make uh, the billiard that I that I loved uh, with my spin on the shape, and at a good price. And so, as you know, Greg and I had had met, and uh, we kind of. Uh, resonated on a number of issues pertaining to pipes. And I thought he might be a good partner to do this project. And the reason I thought that Greg would work well with me is because Greg is um, an experienced entrepreneur already. He knows a great deal about social media, far more than I. He builds things and understands machinery in ways that I will never understand. So while I know how pipes are made, Greg really knows how to make them. And so with my 50 years of experience with pipes and my interest in design, along with uh, Greg's skills, I I thought would make for a great partnership. And and frankly, now the rest is history. Did did the uh, name Bing Crosby ever come up in your discussions about these, about the pipes? Well, uh, of course, when I when I spoke to, to Greg about the, the my desire to uh, rejuvenate the merchant service brand and the shape, you know, we 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 both kind of liked Bing Crosby and uh, thought it was interesting that uh, the success of this pipe in the uh, in the community was certainly as a result of his interest in it and his promotion of it and um we just like the so you know he's a great he was a great serious pipe smoker and just to to get parenthetical for a moment um crosby and and a handful of other hollywood types have always struck me as serious pipe smokers crosby barry fitzgerald um um uh edward g robinson certainly and uh uh, Robert Young, um, who in the movie, in the great movie Crossfire, uh, is smoking a pipe and certainly looks like he knew his way around pipes. And so people, uh, we kind of like the idea of uh, the uh, uh, people in the old golden age of Hollywood, both producers, people on the other side of the camera, as well as the actors who smoked pipes, Nigel Bruce, of course. And uh, we, we just loved the idea of the connection. Um, although I must tell you, if, if Crosby had not been associated with that shape, I still would have loved that shape and wanted to make something like it. It was just a curiosity and, 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 and more fun to yeah. know that uh, Crosby uh, found this shape to be so attractive and was able to promote it um, to friends and uh, colleagues uh, in the industry, and that's how it took on its uh, iconic nature. It's interesting, you know, when Len had approached me uh, with the, with the idea of the pipe, and he explained to me the significance of it. I, I knew who Bing Crosby was, and I was a fan, just just as Len had stated a second ago. And I knew that he was a pipe smoker. I, I never knew that that pipe uh, was particularly associated with him. I think, like most people, I always associated him smoking a billiard, just because you, you you would see that. But you know, the actual specifications of it being so long and so thin, and that that was a, I, I just didn't know those specifics of it. 
But I will say that um, what, what Len said about liking the pipe, it's interesting because, I, you know, all most of my pipes up until, um, you know, recently were not thin uh, pencil tank pipes. You know, they were all rather more, more robust in nature, and that's yeah. just the style that I went for. Um, and uh, it's it's interesting that the first I, I never the pencil shank never appealed to me before, and then when I saw pictures of the pipe, you know, clear, large, blown up pictures that Len had given me, um, I really thought it was attractive. So I fell in love with it myself too. It, it is a it is a shape of elegance. Um, it's a shape of yeah. Obviously, somebody who is yeah, yeah, Greg, your great your grandfather wouldn't probably want one because you know he'd no. bang. <laughs> That's right. He'd bang it on the fireplace and it'd snap into 14 pieces. So it's more of a... Right. Nor would my Uncle Bob. Yeah. Yeah, So it's much more of a gentleman's kind of a pipe shape. And I'm I'm guessing from the size, from the bowl proportions and the length, it's much more of a... uh, It's more of a sipping kind of a pipe shape than, you know, than a puffing like a train shape, if that makes sense. Absolutely correct, yeah. Yes, and, and, you know, part of the appeal of this shape to me is um, I'm a big fan of um, uh, uh, sort of an Anglophile, and I love the period in England between the end of the First World War and the uh, start of the Second World War. And um, I I love English style, and and I especially in men's clothing and uh, just the way men sort of lived during that era uh, or attempted to. And um, I thought the shape of that pipe was entirely consistent with my understanding of British pipe design and their flair for a certain kind of uh, style. And I, and that's really where the appeal came from. In addition to which, when I started in the business, um, and working especially for Connoisseur, you know, most <laughs> of the pipes that we made were variations of English-French themes, and uh, that really was the formation of my own sense of style. And I think that uh, the merchant service billiard is part of that uh, that tradition, and th- that's why it probably resonated so well for me. And there are there are specific dimensions and that that this pipe needs to hit in either in order to be in your selection, correct? Well, it, it, yes, it's interesting that you brought that up. Um, you know, when we were thinking about making the pipe, we have what are purported to be the exact dimensions of the original merchant service billiard. And interestingly enough, we we saw that on. Uh, one of the forums in Pipes Magazine um, in a series of threads, I think that uh, uh, Jim uh, Amish uh, uh, was involved with because he is is also a fan of that shape. And we were able to get the exact dimensions. However, we wanted to do something slightly different. Uh, We thought that we could capture the essence of that shape but make a slightly larger version of it, which would uh, be somewhat more dramatic and might appeal to today's modern smoker, especially here in the States, uh, who as a rule generally likes somewhat larger pipes than the 
traditional British versions, which, because of the cost of tobacco and other issues, were generally smaller. Not always, but generally smaller. So we wanted to do something slightly larger. So we modified the original dimensions to create the uh, product that we have. So that was intentional. So, the, I mean, this goes back to the days when at, at Dunhill right now, what we would consider to be a group four is kind of a traditional size pipe. But remember, Dunhill sizing only goes up to group five and then it gets into the ODAs. So, yeah, the, you know, most of the pipes back then in the in the 30s and 40s were in the group two, group three size. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. That, that, that's my yeah. point. And, and, you know, the bowl of the original merchant service pipe is... Uh, smallish, you know, it could be a group three-ish, four-ish type bowl, but ours is just a bit larger. You might you might say it's a large group four or group five in yeah. terms of capacity. Yeah, back in the in the you know in the forties, the guy would you know dump out all the ash in his in his pipe and then put it in the vest pocket of his uh, of his overcoat and it'd just be hanging, you know, a little stem hanging out there and. But you wouldn't you wouldn't want to put one of our modern day pipes in there because you'd have a big old bulge now. Uh, absolutely, it's uh, you know just a, a the original merchant service was a product of the of its era and uh, and certainly appealed to uh, uh, undoubtedly to uh, to pipe smokers who were looking for that size because that that was the thing in those days. Yeah, so now you've got a pipe designed, you've got the size and everything. I, I'm guessing you. You didn't set up your own pipe factory, but you went to somewhere and had them made? Yeah, so the, um, you know, the, the first order of business, uh, you know, when Len approached me to this, it, we, we started talking about actually trying to get the pipes manufactured, was we, we spoke a lot about wood, and uh, we talked about the, the quality of the briar, because, you know, even though this, this may have been, you know, I guess a, a small pet project of his and mine, we, we didn't want to do anything cheaply and we didn't want to do anything that would lead to a bad smoke, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. And we, 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 we do care about the taste of wood and we do think there's a difference between briar. We certainly, by then I know Len does. And we, we talked about this on and on. We were sampling different pieces of wood. Um, so, you know, the first order of the business was to secure good wood. We actually did that before we tried to find a Fraser. Um, you know, a person to, to produce the bowls. So we were actually able to source um, what we believe to be really good tasting wood that was very old, actually, and we have a good supply of that. And, um, you know, then the next order of business was to find a Fraser. But it is very good old wood that's dry. Um, Len, how old is it? Is it, is it 29 years it's, old? It's it probably, you know, the... the it, when you when you hear about exactly how old it is, it, it doesn't come with a birth certificate. Yeah, <laughs> certainly, certainly, um, certainly the, the 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 people that we got the wood from yeah. um, represented that uh, it, it could be thirty to forty year old wood. Yeah, yeah, and but, here, you know whether if it's twenty if it's twenty five years old or twenty, sure. that's fine. Thank yeah. you very much. <laughs> yeah, it, well, and it's here's old and dry. Yeah, it's old and dry, and that's what we were looking for. So here's the other thing well, that I guess. I guess, I guess what I'm saying is we went through the process kind of differently. You know, we didn't, you, most companies would go to a Fraser and say, here's what I want to make, and then start looking at their qualities of wood. We went backwards. We found wood and then went to a Fraser, you know. Yeah, and I, and, and I want everybody to keep in mind that you guys are, 
This is not a full-time, we've got to pay the bills off of this project. This is a a, a, a pet project. A labor of love. Yeah. Certainly. It, yeah, and so then you've got your, you're both experienced pipe smokers. You've both got pipes that you all, that you really like and enjoy smoking. You wouldn't want to make one that you don't enjoy smoking just to try to make a pet project out of it. You want to make something that you guys want to smoke yourselves. Well, that's just it. And, you know, that's, you said it, you said it. I can't, I, I couldn't expand upon what you just said any better, you know? Yeah, well, that's part of the reason why I don't make pipes is because I couldn't make anything that I don't want to, that I'd want to smoke. So, <laughs> so I make a podcast <laughs> instead because at least it's got a better aftertaste than my pipes do. Uh, so, but in, in addition to, to finding the right wood and the, and the right uh, custom phraser, um, we uh, sourced the um, bands for the uh, pipe, which is an, an interesting issue. I think the original merchant service pipes did not necessarily have a band to begin with. I think it's an affectation that Crosby uh, wanted, and Correct. so the um, so that the the band, which is entirely decorative on our pipes, and I suspect were on his as well, uh, were just that decorative, and we we just liked the way it looked, and so we uh, arranged to have our. Uh, solid nickel bands uh, produced for us on a custom basis. Uh, and um, we wanted a source of stems, which we were able to find, again, old stock uh, stems that uh, actually worked uh, to get close to the original merchant service design. Uh, they were pre-molded stems um, in those days, I believe, and ours are too. But we've obviously been able to modify them to achieve um, the kind of draw that we want uh, that uh, will minimize turbulence and uh, provide for a better smoke. But um, so we have old old stems, old wood, and custom-made um, nickel bands. You know everything about the project. Um, w- w- you know, just just to use the word custom isn't isn't even going far enough to to explain how difficult it was. You know. <laughs> When you when you when you get on the phone with a Fraser and, and you you know there's uh, you know there there can, there can be language barriers um, technical differences in language but once you start talking to people about you know the dimensions of the pipe and if you look at our pipes our shank is about ten and a half millimeters in diameter that's awfully small <laughs> you know yeah. um, mo- most people when you when they start thinking about the the forces that are going to be applied to that piece of wood especially when the shank is so long and so thin, you know, most people just, I don't want to say they hang up the phone on you, but they're, <laughs> they're very reluctant <laughs> to, to keep the conversation going because they just don't think it's possible to make it, you know, not, not in a situation outside of a handmade pipe, you know. Um, so that posed a lot of challenges. The, the nickel bands themselves were a challenge because when you're dealing with um, such a long band, you know, it, it's not an off-the-shelf, like what we would call a repair band that's kind of short. Yeah, um, you have to change. There's there's angles to the taper over such a distance of the band that you know it changes the way it looks, it changes the way it fits. So everything about this pipe was a really unique technical challenge, and I, I enjoyed every minute of it. To be honest with you, I, I really enjoyed the project. I, even as going forward, I enjoyed it. It's 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 been a it's been a great ride. So it's almost taken longer to birth <laughs> this baby than twin elephants. <laughs> what? 
I don't, I don't know many elephants, but yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it did take it, it, it took did, a while. It did took a while. It did really did take a while to put it together. It's true. We did a lot of homework, and uh, because we wanted it to come out right. I mean, truthfully, we've really been working on it for about two years, right? I mean, yeah. About yeah. Two years. <clears throat> so the the website to see the pipes is Merchant Service Pipes dot com. M e r c h a n t S E R V I C E pipes.com. And I, I'm not going to spell out pipes because if anybody's listening to the show and they don't know how to spell that, then forget them. Uh, we would hope. Yeah. The best part of it is, is that you've got one price point and they're what, $150 each, smooth, rusticated, sandblasted, doesn't matter, right? Well, we have the, um, the we, ha we, we actually just recently ran out of stock on the, the two natural finishes we offered. We offered a natural smooth that was a polished pipe that was, you know, the, the highest quality of wood we had. And the same thing with the natural sandblasts. Um, they were, I think, $175. That's correct, yes. Um, but uh, when they went on sale, people loved them, and they, <laughs> they ran right through them, <laughs> right. which was good. And then we have uh, the rest of them, the dark smooth, and then we have a dark blast, and then we have a dark rusticated. Those were all the same price. Those are 150 you know, when you when you phrase bowls, um, some some of them are going to be in better shape than others. They're going to be relatively more flaw free, and so you get a smaller number of really almost perfect pipes, of course. And um, so we're no different than than any other company in that respect. So sure. the ones that come out, you know, beautifully and and relatively flaw flaw free, are the ones that are going to be priced at a slightly higher amount. Any uh, any plans in the future for a different shape, or are we sticking with this one for a while? So it's actually interesting you say that. Um, that that's actually something that Len and I discuss daily. <laughs> we actually <laughs> we uh, we do have plans for the future for two more different pipes. Um, I, I I just can't say much about them right now. But uh, again, the one thing I could say is that they're definitely pipes that we feel haven't been done done justice. In, the, in, in recent years, pipes that we'd like to resurrect, kind of like what we did with the merchant service with the Bing style. Um, you know, pipes that we, we think we could do and make them look fantastic. Um, so we do have plans for a couple pipes coming up in the near future, I'd, I'd say. So, but don't but don't sit there and wait for it. Grab one of these while while they've got them and and get Grab one. Grab two if you could. Sure. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's of course our intention to continue to produce the uh, merchant service billiard. Absolutely. I mean, if there's a demand Certainly. for it, we will continue to do it. And we hope. We think. We kind of think that there are a lot of people out there who like the shape, but are really looking for something that has an authentic feel to it at the right price point. And uh, this is not to diminish the, the great artists and pipe makers who are out there who can do a version of it. They do beautiful, beautiful work. The thing is, is that naturally they ha they're going to be paid at a, at, a, at a much higher price. This is you know, essentially a factory-made pipe, which uh, will smoke well and will be at a price point that I think a lot more people can take advantage of. Yeah, it's. The, I mean, it's exact. It's a beautiful price point that you're in. You've got great pipes that look. Yeah, they look fantastic. I haven't smoked one yet, but I'm sure that'll uh, we'll we'll fix that one uh, down the road sometime. Because I think I need to add one for my, uh, you know, when I'm driving around in my in my uh, British made Mini Cooper, I should have a uh, British inspired pipe shape sticking out of my nose. 
It's uh, absolutely de rigueur. Yeah. You're, you're, you shouldn't delay any further. <laughs> yeah. So we will, we will wrap this up with the fast five final questions. Each one of you, you're not getting out of this one without, without doing them. So we'll do them. We'll do them one at a time. But uh, Len, what is your favorite pipe? So it actually, it depends on the day of the week. And, I, and I'll tell you why. I, most of my collection, um, the, the largest number of pipes that I have are come from a few sources. Uh, John Eels and uh, Rich Lewis, uh, yeah. because I really love their work and I, and I love their shapes. But, and I have a variety, many others. I have Castellos and other Italian brands. And um, uh, I have some Ashtons and a variety of different things, um, including a collection of uh, pipes that were made in San Clo about 70 years ago, which um, have been done with curved drilling to be able to create uh, a kind of a Dunhill LC shape. And I have quite a few of that, those pipes, and that particular style of pipe is a passion of mine. So I have a, a lot of good pipes, but depending on the day of the week, some one pipe that will smoke beautifully uh, for a series of days maybe next week will not smoke as well. And that, I don't know the exact reason for it. It could be my packing technique, it, uh, my body chemistry. One doesn't know for sure. So I can't say that I have one particular pipe that I love that will smoke uh, beautifully in and out, day in and day out. Um, it's, I, I don't have what I would call magical pipes, but I do. But the ones that I have and that now have in my collection are great smokers, all of them, um, and some smoke better than others depending on the particular day of the week. So that's the only way I can answer that question honestly. Greg, what is your favorite pipe? So this is, this is going to sound a little bit self-serving, but um, I actually, you know, one of my favorite pipes right now that I smoke on, a, on an almost daily basis, I, I just started to hand make pipes just for myself as a hobby. I have, I have no intention of ever trying to sell pipes that are handmade, but um, I was just, you know, messing around in the lathe and I, and I made a couple pipes and one in particular was made from a piece of Greek plateau. And uh, to use the term that Len just said, a magic pipe. For some reason, this pipe has been magic, and no, no matter what I've put into it, it's tasted great. So currently, that's my favorite pipe. Um, <laughs> I don't know, I can't explain it. Len, what is your favorite tobacco? That, too, varies. Um, I, I smoke uh, flakes, mixtures, plugs, uh, just about everything. I smoke non-aromatics, uh, vapors, uh, aromatics from time to time, and depending on my mood... Um, I, I, I find, gee, I'm crazy about this tobacco this week or crazy about that tobacco uh, for months or two. But I've been smoking, uh, my, uh, generally speaking, though, my favorite flake is Condor Long Cut. Uh, I, I, I don't know that I've had the Polish version of this, which I hear is not quite what it was uh, in the old days, but I have about 10 pouches left that I got some time ago in England. And um, I, I love it. I think it's my favorite flake. Uh, on, on the English style, um, you know, I've been smoking, um, uh, of course, I have a history of smoking Balkan Sobrani and Sullivan Powell and all the old great brands from the past. The 
pre pre Murray Dunhills, Murray Dunhills, but of course I don't have much of that any longer. And uh, so I've been smoking 1882 uh, from uh, Eric Stokeby, which I think is great. Uh, a Balkan uh, Brevia Balkan, which I like very much. Uh, I've been smoking some tobaccos from a, a, a boutique blender whose name is, uh, well, uses the name Ken Byron Ventures. You can find him on the internet. Yep. This guy is making uh, terrific Virginia Perique blends and some absolutely wonderful English blends using a variety of different sourced tobaccos that he gets access to. And I think his stuff is terrific, including um, something called Burley Morning Pipe that he makes, which is, uh, I do like Burley-based tobaccos very often, and this is just tremendous stuff. He has a great aromatic called King Black. So I've been smoking, lately I've been smoking some of his stuff, and it's just terrific. So it really, you know, I, I can't say that I have one go-to tobacco blend. Uh, um, it, it varies. But Condor, if, if, if you've got any, I'll be happy to take a bowl from you. Greg, what's your favorite tobacco? Favorite tobacco? I'm going to be a lot, uh, a lot more brief in my answer, but I'm going to say that my favorite, what I would consider like a treat tobacco, would be a vapor, uh, Peter Heinrich's Curly Block. That's that's my current treat of a vapor. Uh, you know, that's, that's my happiness at the end of a long day. But my day-to-day smoke, people are going to laugh when I say this. My day-to-day smoke is a burly. It's uh, Prince Albert, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he's, as long as he's still in the can. Oh, um, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Len, what you know, is? I have to second. I have to second Greg on that. It's actually, it's actually damn good, and uh, I like it myself. Len, what is your favorite drink? Okay, um, I, I'm going to speak to the issue of uh, an alcoholic beverage, and uh, I, I basically am a single malt Scotch lover. Uh, um, Lafroy Ten is uh, my go-to. Uh, single malt, but uh, I like things. I like Ela scotches and Highlands and Speysides. I mean, I, I drink them all, but that's generally my my favorite drink. Greg, your favorite drink? So, if we're talking about alcoholic beverages, um, it, it's going to be tied somewhere with an Irish whiskey. Um, or a really good bourbon, and, and nowadays it's been pretty much bourbon. But uh, and this is just a little tidbit for you, uh, Brian. If you've never had it, and uh, I have no association with it as a soda company, but uh, I, I just recently got told about this at my pipe club. Uh, a few of the guys were doing it when they smoke more robust tobaccos, things like darker burleys and things that are stoved, or, or even things that are like cigars, for instance. Try Canfield's chocolate soda. I, huh. I think you'd be dumbfounded as to what a combination uh, a cigar or or a stout tobacco makes with it with with Canfield's chocolate soda. It's it's the most realistic chocolate soda I've ever tasted in my life, and it's it's remarkable the pairing that it produces. Ooh, all right, Len. When it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? Movie, unquestionably. Uh, and a movie from the golden age of Hollywood, something from the 30s, 40s, or up to about uh, the late 50s. Uh, uh, that's 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 what I tend to watch the most. I'm a great fan of Turner Classic movies and watch that frequently. And uh, that's my that's my go-to relaxation. An old movie. Greg, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? Uh, for me, it's definitely going to be a movie. You know, it, it, it's 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 got to be film, but uh, mostly sci-fi. I'm a big big sci-fi nut. 
Live long and prosper. <laughs> speaking not, not about, necessarily that one, but oh. yeah. <laughs> you know, speaking about speaking about Bing Crosby and old movies, you know, he started his movie career around 1930, but around 1931 or so, did a movie with Douglas Fairbanks, senior, a talkie, and it was called um, um, "Reaching for the Moon." He does a song in it with a, uh, an actress named Bebe Daniels, which is just a hoot. It's called When the Folks High Up Do the Mean Low Down, <laughs> which was written by Irving Berlin. I I recommend that anyone who's interested in Bing Crosby catch, you can catch it on YouTube. Uh, and uh, just you'll just you'll just get a great kick out of seeing him do this uh, this number with bb daniels it's just it's just terrific <laughs> and then reaching for the moon is the name of the movie finally len do you have a favorite pipe smoking related memory that we haven't talked about so um yes actually i have i have many good stories some of them came from being in business in the business the retail side years ago but more recently, you know, I mentioned a while ago that I'm interested in pipes that uh, have curved drilling. And, uh, you know, the Dunhill LC is the most famous pipe uh, that uh, has that technique. And um, I have a, a bunch of pipes that I collect that have that drilling technique, and I've had them x-rayed to be able to see how the <laughs> drilling was done. A fellow member of our pipe club acquired a Dunhill LC that was probably, bowl was probably turned in the 1920s. And uh, the pipe uh, is drilled, of course, with curved drilling. And I had that pipe x-rayed as well. And I compared the technique that was used for the several pipes that came out of the same factory in San Clos that produced my curved drilling pipes with the Dunhill LC drilling. And on x-ray, the, the drilling technique is exactly the same. You, <laughs> you look at these two x-rays and think that the pipes were made in the same factory. And so, you know, to the extent that some of us, you know, think that Dunhill purchased a, a, a lot of bowls that they used for production, I'm thinking that the LC or certainly this LC, was made in the same factory that uh, the pipes that I acquired uh, from San Clos were made in. And it was amazing to be able to see that it may have to be that it came from the same source. It was one of those aha moments for me. I'm picturing the hospital x-ray tech going, wait, you really want me to do this? <laughs> <laughs> well, interestingly, the, the, the pipes were... Uh, x-rayed under the auspices of uh, someone who is one of the foremost, at least in my view, proponents of Cuban cigars and has one of the largest collections of uh, aged Cuban cigars as well as uh, more current ones. And so when I asked him for help with this project, um, it was... Um, you know, he agreed to it readily and thought it was uh, very cool to do it. But. <laughs> And then, Greg, do you have a favorite pipe smoking related memory? 
Oh, I certainly do, and that, that's really easy for me to pick. The um, you know, when I was younger, <clears throat> my grandfather he uh, my grandfather died when I was very young, when I was around eight years old. So, uh, and this was before he had died, and and he was like I, like I told you, he was a real pipe smoker, and uh, he also smoked hand rolled cigarettes, and um, I mean, he would <laughs> when when he smoked a pipe, he would take the dottle out of the pipe and then put it into a cigarette and roll that up and smoke it. I mean, he was, he was a real <laughs> smoker. Iron Man. Oh, he did nothing wasted, you know? And um, so anyway, you know, he had such arthritis that uh, my duty as a seven-year-old child was to learn how to roll his cigarettes for him. So he had taught me the, the process of how to hold a, a rolling paper and, and he used to, he smoked bugler tobacco in the in the, the teal tin. He used the papers that came. I remember all this, and uh, and I, I and I developed this skill of rolling cigarettes, and uh, and I would pack his pipes for him, you know, and get them ready for him to smoke throughout the day. And uh, I remember one day um, I had packed his pipe and I had rolled him a bunch of cigarettes, and I was seven years old, and he lit the pipe. And he looked at me, and he opened my mouth. He's open your mouth, you know. And he, and he shoved the pipe in my mouth and, and pushed my chin up and said, "Eh, go ahead." And you know, and he, he started me smoking a pipe, and I, and I was so proud. And I and I walked out into the living room, you know, very proudly, stepping high. And I and I was puffing on a pipe, and I was smiling. And I'm looking at my mother and my grandmother, and they, they screamed, and it was the most repulsive, uh, you know, abhorrent thing they could see. It was, uh, it was scandalous to them. And they, they reached over and they snatched the pipe out of my mouth. And I just remember lots of yellow Listerine, um, <laughs> flushing my mouth and brushing and, and just, it was, they, you know, they, they couldn't do anything more to sterilize my mouth. <laughs> it was the worst thing I could imagine. But seven years old, my grandfather thought it'd be a great idea to start me smoking a pipe. <laughs> so, you, you would, it would have been less shocking had you lit the cat on fire and, and been swinging it above your head. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. They, yeah. <laughs> uh, on that note, um, the website again, it's merchantservicepipes.com. Check it out. Len, Greg, thank you very much for coming on. Len, maybe we'll have you on again, and you can talk about the 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 old days at those all those pipe shops in New York, and in particular, a little bit about Ed Burak too. Sure, that'd be my my great pleasure. Anytime. Thank you to both for coming on. Thank you. Thank you. We'll be back in just a minute. There's nothing quite like a good book. Or my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe. An American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. See for yourself at corncobpipe.com. A Savinelli pipe is a testament to a long legacy, fortified by well-worn hands and destined to be enjoyed for generations. For over 150 years, Savinelli has been dedicated to sourcing the world's finest briar, committed to pushing the boundaries of pipe design, and devoted to the tradition of Italian pipe making. Savinelli is more than a mark. They're a way to help you make your mark. And like you, there can only be one Savinelli. This is Internet Radio. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. I can't wait to see what else uh, Len and, uh, and Greg have. I can't wait to get my hands on one of their pipes. So do check out what they're doing. It's pretty cool stuff. All right, jumping right into the mailbag because of technical difficulties. <laughs> yeah, I'm hating my computer right now. But um, anyway, 
in the mailbag, remember, if you have a comment or question, post it at pipesmagazine.com on the Pipes Magazine radio show page or email me or, or uh, send it on Facebook or, you know, all those different ways. You know how to do it. Uh, going back to last week's show with uh, Carl the Olivewood Piper on uh, Casey Ghost writes, another good show. I enjoyed the trip report from Las Vegas. It's nice to hear from someone who can actually speak about what he saw. The clods from the KC Pipe Club can only say it was a good show and that's it. I don't care for Olivewood Pipes, so I didn't pay a lot of attention to what was being said until he mentioned he sold them for 65 to $85. I still don't want one, but if you do, this is the guy to call. <laughs> Nothing like Dan to lay it out there perfectly straight and uh, out in the open for you. Uh, I also got this email, and it is uh, it says uh, it's from a Brian who spells his name correctly, and he says, "Good morning, Brian. Just wanted to reach out to you and first off say thank you for all that you do to promote and better the pipe smoking community and the hobby lifestyle." I'm a recent convert over from cigars and have been attempting to attempting learning to smoke a pipe for almost a year and have found it a great joy in doing so. Your podcast was the first thing I started listening to when I was thinking about giving it a try and can't thank you and Mr. Godby enough for producing such a first class production. And uh, then he went on to ask some questions about a cruise that he's currently on and i'm happy to help him so again if you have any travel questions just email me or reach out to me i'm happy to help you uh, if you don't get a response right away send it again or try on facebook or the twitter no don't go on the twitters i don't go there they're mean there um also nate rose from canada and the nate rose pipe company said uh sent this along he's doing a fundraiser and here's the official statement. It says, Rose Pipes Company has partnered with Railway City Brewing to raise money for the NICU in London, Ontario. Uh, that's the neonatal intensive care unit at the hospital. Uh, the donation will be made on behalf of one-year-old Gabriel, who spent his first week of life in the NICU. Uh, proud, par proud parents and owners of Rose Pipe Company Nate and Kristen would like to give back to the hospital and staff that saved their son's life by raffling off an original handmade Rose Pipes Company tobacco pipe. Uh, you can go to his website or you can email him rosepipesco at gmail.com and uh, let's help him give back to the people that gave him so much. Uh, and then finally in the news, yes, there is a uh, there was an article that came out this past week that the Pheasant Run Resort, where the Chicago Pipe Show is, is laying off 75% of their staff, and they'll do that by the middle of January. We don't know what that means for the pipe show itself. And we have not heard from the pipe club itself yet, so let's not panic quite yet. As soon as I hear something from them, I will definitely let you know. I do believe that they were finding out about this at the same time we were and probably read the same news article that we read. So they're probably making phone calls and emails and trying to uh, figure out what's going on. All right. As I mentioned, a uh, computer rant and the rant is all against me coming up next.
This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. That's right, I'm ranting about myself, and I'm going to use this as a cautionary tale for all of you, and it's about maintenance, all right? Cars need routine maintenance. Uh, air conditioners need routine maintenance. Even your pipes need routine maintenance. Yeah, you need to pull them apart and clean them every once in a while, and then if, you, you know, if they get nasty, you need to send them off to a professional to have them cleaned. Well, let me tell you what else needs routine maintenance, and what I didn't routinely maintain is my computer. <laughs> Uh, apparently 18 months of just working on it and working on it was a little too much for it and I've spent the last 48 hours in computer hell because in addition to the routine maintenance apparently I got my I, I got myself a little virus of some sort and I can't figure out how to get rid of it so I've got a problem and it's all because I didn't keep my files organized I didn't keep my computer organized I didn't give it the routine maintenance that it needs it's like that junk drawer of, uh, of receipts and bills and stuff that you pile up and then right around tax time you look at them and go, oh God, I got to go through all that. Well, your computer is the same thing. And if you give it routine maintenance and keep it clean and keep it running well, you know what? It'll do fine for you. Yeah, you know what you should do is probably about once a month put on the Pipes Magazine radio show, listen to it for an hour with your pipe and clean up your computer and run all the maintenance stuff on it. And don't be like me and just wait until it all piles up and then all of a sudden you've got a problem and your problem takes up 48 hours of your life. I'd rather be dealing with a leaky roof than deal with a problem with a computer because at least I can see the leak on the roof and I know that roofs wear out and go bad. I don't want to deal with this with the computer. So there you go. Do your routine maintenance. All right, there you go. Again, uh, hey, please keep sharing the uh, Pipes Magazine radio show with all your friends on uh, Facebook and wherever else. Share it on all the forums out there. Let people know about it. Leave us a rating or review on iTunes. That would be greatly appreciated. Uh, if you're on Stitcher, leave us a rating or review there. Remember, comments, questions, or suggestions, email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. Travel-related stuff, brian.levine at mei-travel.com. Uh, thanks to Len and Greg for joining me. Thank you all for tuning in. And until next time. Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Three. Happy.
Shine that stem, baby.